you're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for September 2017. Today's episode is titled, God and Money. The financial services industry touts the importance of saving for retirement. The message often used is that retirement is the time in life when one can do one's will according to one's ways. The root of this thinking is a humanistic worldview, a view of reality that claims each person has the right to assume the role of God in his or her life. Organizational leaders must guard against the temptation to seek to worship God and money, which is impossible. The primary goal of organizations should not be financial profit, but alignment with the will and ways of God. Profit is a byproduct of alignment with God, and given the intentional strategic nature of God, the profit that God grants an organization is what is needed for the organization to fulfill God's purpose. Organizational success is therefore measured by the degree of obedience to the will and ways of God. Financial considerations are secondary to the primary objective of alignment with God. This makes organizational leadership and financial stewardship spiritual activities. And now, Dr. Chester brings us the message, Serving God and Money. This morning we want to talk about about money, about finances, and in particular we want to talk about the reality that we cannot worship God and money. That is a uh, kind of a trivial thing for many people. They don't put a lot of time thinking about that, but we have some very clear revelation concerning that very point. And so I want to point that out to you this morning. This is part of the teaching that I did uh, recently on financial management from a biblical perspective, part two. Um, In that teaching, uh, I I covered uh, a number of things, mainly the first six items on the, uh, the overall teaching of financial management, part two. And in the discussion on work and economics, which is the second session, I got into the whole idea of could, you know, the possibility or impossibility of worshiping God in money. So I just want to focus on that in this little short teaching and give you some ideas and thoughts about what I think Scripture has to say about this very, very important, important issue. First, let me see a little background for you. And the first question is, money seems to be connected to work. If we work to make money, or at least that's what we seem to think. So it begs the question, what is work and why do we work? Well, the common assumptions are work is about, you know, making money so we can do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. That seems to be what most people think. Uh, A dictionary, you know, response to why we work and what is it would be something like this. Work is an effort applied to produce a deliverable or accomplish a task. So as you can see, that's very, uh, very dictionary kind of definition of, of work and what we do work for. But most of us are more pragmatic than that, and we view work as a means to an end. And that end is to make money, and we want to make money only because we want to live according to a certain lifestyle that we normally predefined. But what would be a biblical answer to this question of what is work and why do we work? Well, I think you'd have to go to the creation mandate to get a biblical response. Uh, The reason that we exist on this planet is to be God's agent for his rule, to extend his rulership over this whole planet. And specifically, we do that by multiplying, by that is we need more and more people because this is a big universe that we're in, and we're subduing it, which is that's the basis for technological advancement. We're called to do, you know, basically advanced technology. It's very interesting when you look at the history of technology, uh, 
the technological advancements for the first, say, uh, 5,000 years of history, really, maybe, well, really 5,500 years of history, assuming a, a young Earth, uh, have not been all that great, or were not all that great. But within the last four to 500 years, there's been incredible technological advancements. So we have subdued the Earth far better in the last 500 years than we did in the prior 5,500 years. And that is largely because of a man named Isaac Newton who developed a Christian view of science. And that became now the basis from which technological advancement began to happen. So this is why we're here. We're here to rule God's creation by growing and by mastering the creation or managing and mastering is another way to put it. Now, what's this got to do with money? Well, you can see money is not even mentioned here in this text. Money is not mentioned until chapter 2, when in that chapter we have a really interesting comment where God tells us that there was gold in the garden. And the gold in the garden, I think, is a huge clue about how he wanted monetary systems to function and the purpose of money. Money is a tool. Money is a tool that enables us to obey God. That's first and foremost what money's all about. Now, our first work assignment that we given to Adam and Eve was all about farming. It was about tilling the land. That's where they started. They started, obviously, with just a man and a woman, and they had children, and they began to till the land. Now, actually, they didn't have children until after the fall. So this picture here is not pre-fall, it's post-fall. And they are obeying what they have been told to do, and that is to go work the land. Now, one of the things that is very helpful to understand as we consider how God works is that God has defined how we work the land. Now, that's an amazing reality. This verse here in Isaiah 28, verses 23 through 29, which I'm not going to take time to read, points out to us, though, that God has defined the rules of farming. Now, most people, when they read this, are just stunned by this text because they've just never seen it. They've never heard a message on it. Nobody's ever told them this. That's very common comments I hear when I point this out to people. But this text tells us very clearly, God is the creator of all, and if he, it all began with him, then everything about business begins with him. And if he created the rules of farming, he creates the rules for everything, every field of endeavor, every profession, every occupation should find its genesis of thinking in scripture and looking at what God has to say about that particular issue. Now, let me just give you a couple of definitions here before we dig into the one text I want to focus on this morning. I want to talk about economics very quickly. And that is, what is a, what's a normal definition of economics? Well, here's a dictionary definition of economics. It is that economics is a social science that describes the factors that determine the production, distribution, and consumption of goods and services. The term economics comes from the ancient Greek term oikonomia, from oikos, which means house, and nomos, which means law. That, that is, rules of the household for good management. It's so interesting to me that the secular people recognize the very word that the Christians would use to talk about economics, uh, oikonomia, which you can hear economics in that, or economy, and it's household management, it's household rules. If you've been around dentists, 
in length of time, Dennis Peacock, you've heard him talk about that. Well, that, I think, is a very true thing. So it's interesting that even the, the secular people recognize uh, there's a, that the definition of economics must be tied to the ancient thinking here of economia. Now, given a biblical worldview, now we have to add some other factors to our definition of economics. We have to expand our definition. We have to be inclusive of some realities that God has put in his universe that basically the world does not pay attention to. For example, that there is a meta-narrative, that God is redeeming a fallen world, and he has a, a plan for how that's going to be done. Also, we have a creation mandate, and that is the, the, great, the, the great commission of mankind. We normally call the great commission what I call the discipleship mandate of Matthew 28. But really, the great commission is the mandate to rule God's creation through multiplication and mastery. And the third element is a discipleship mandate. Discipleship mandate is what we generally call the Great Commission. It's the empowering mechanism for mankind. You see, mankind in its fallen state can never, never fulfill the creation mandate well. They needed to be empowered. I should say we need to be empowered. And that's what Christ does through the Holy Spirit and his word. He empowers us now so we can be obedient to the creation mandate and fulfill our role in the meta narrative. So let's now modify this definition of economics and add to it these additional components, biblical ideas. So let me propose this idea to you for a definition of biblical economics. Biblically, economics is a social science that describes the factors that determine the stewardship of T4. T4 stands for time, talent, treasure, and technology. Through production, distribution, and utilization of goods and services to facilitate mankind in finding and fulfilling mankind's role, both individually and organizationally, in the meta narrative congruent with the creation mandate. Now, obviously, we could spend a lot of time unpacking that and talking about all the nuances. I just wanted to throw that out to you to give you something to start chewing on, because if you're ever going to think about economics correctly, you've got to think about it biblically. And by and large, we don't do that well. What I want to do this morning is I want to focus in specifically on money and ask the question, what does money have to do with work and economics? Now, that may seem like a trivial question because the world's answer to that is, well, money is what we have to do to get to be able to live the way we want to live. It becomes all about us, our will and our ways. That's how we normally view money. But money is not that. Money is a temporal tool to help us line up with the will of God according to the ways of God and obviously in the timing of God. Money is a resource to enable us to fulfill our purpose in the meta narrative in accordance with the creation mandate. And we see texts like Matthew 6.33 that are so clear on this very point. It tells us if we seek first his kingdom, that is his will, and we seek it according to his righteousness, that is his ways, he will take care of all the things that we need. And in the context of this verse here, this reference to all these things is all the, the daily needs you have, food, clothing, shelter, transportation, communication, whatever it is that you need, God will take care of it. All you have to do is put the priorities correct in your life. You seek first the kingdom, his will, and you do it according to his righteousness, his ways, and God takes care of your needs. 
Now, this means that money is simply a tool. That's all it is. Provision, that is money, is a byproduct of work, not the purpose of work. So we've got to get very clear on that. So as we get clear on what money really is, that money is simply a tool, it is not the end-all, be-all. It's not the ultimate goal of work. It's not the thing that's going to enable us to be you know, satisfied, secure, and successful. That is not money. Money is a tool. And one way to kind of you know, help you think about this and help you test where you are in your thinking on this is just consider a simple example. Suppose that you have a standard-sized garage, two-car garage, just pretty good-sized room, and you fill it full of screwdrivers. Now, how would you feel about that? Would you feel wealthy and secure and successful and significant? Well, most people would say, no, I just got a bunch of screwdrivers. Now, suppose you take that same garage and you empty it of those screwdrivers, and now you fill it full of stacks of $100 bills. Floor to ceiling, throughout that garage. Now, how do you feel? Well, most people immediately can say, that's going to be a lot of $100 bills. I mean, lots of $100 bills and they start feeling really wealthy, and they start feeling secure, and they start feeling significant. And, and the point is, if that's the way you feel, then you don't see money correctly. Because money is simply a tool, just like a screwdriver is a tool. And until you can get that in you, you are at some level worshiping money. Money is an idol in your life. Now, that's a very, very dangerous thing because there's an axiomatic principle that I want to go over with you now that will, should very much convict you. I hope it convicts you. It certainly has convicted me that I must see money correctly or I will never you know, understand it and I will never use it correctly. This is a text in Luke 16, verses 10 through 13. It gives us an axiomatic principle that you cannot, worship or serve God and money. It is not possible. So let me read this to you. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? In other words, he's telling us what worldly wealth is. It's really, it's like monopoly money. It's play money. And you have it to see how well you can manage it. Because if you can't manage it well, you're not going to get real riches. You're not going to get real wealth. So, so money, as we know it today, is a temporal tool. It is not real wealth. And that's hard for us to get our arms around because most of us think money is it. It's not it. That's deception. Reading on, it says, And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? In other words, you're, just, you're never going to really be promoted in the kingdom of God. You're never going to advance in the kingdom of God. You're never going to move forward in the kingdom of God until you understand money properly. And if you can understand it properly, you can begin to use it properly. Now, here's the axiomatic principle. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, this is, again, one of those very powerful texts of Scripture. It's very much in your face. It's a reality of God's universe. 
No servant can serve two masters, period. And if you've been around the workplace any length of time, if you've seen a situation where someone was given two bosses, you've probably seen a train wreck. That does not work well. And it doesn't work well because of this is an axiomatic principle. You need one boss. And in the case of God and money, it's a no-brainer. It has to be God. And if you try to serve both, it will not go well. Because the default for fallen man is going to be to serve money. That's the default. I don't, and I don't know about you, but I've, I've heard many, many people, you know, when they hear teaching like this, uh, they, they, they really have a heartburn, heartburn over it and uh, respond in various ways. Uh, I was teaching this one time to a breakfast group, um, and there was a man in that group who was, had been a contractor for some 30 years, built lots of lots of homes and made a good bit of money doing it. And he had a practice that he simply gave 10% of what his, what his take-home pay was to God, and he assumed that the other 90% was his. And when I explained to him, no, that's not the way it works. You know, money is all belongs to the Lord, and you're simply his steward. It's just a tool for you to use to obey God. That's what money is. He really had heartburn over that because he wanted to believe that he had done his job by making the money and he gave God his 10% and the rest of it he could do with as he pleased. Now, if you're going to serve God, if he's really going to be the master, he gets to decide how all your money is allocated, how it's spent, which means he gets to decide your standard of living. He gets to decide where you live. He gets to decide what clothes you, you buy, what food you eat, what car you drive, what vacation you take. All of that is in his purview. And if you think you can just do whatever you want to do, then you are serving mammon. Now, that's a stark, hard reality. But see, this text is very clear. No servant, and we're all servants of God, if you know Christ, can serve two masters. You're either going to serve Christ or you're going to serve mammon. Mammon is the uh, Greek word for this translated money. Uh, and basically behind that mammon is a spirit. So God is spirit, mammon is a spirit, and you have this conflict going on between God and money, and we are in the middle. And what most of us want to do is think we can do both. You cannot do both. It's very interesting, this word cannot here is the word dunamai, uh, which in the Greek language uh, means power. Uh, it does not refer to permission. You know, in English, we can use the word cannot, uh, meaning you don't have permission to do something. Or we can use the word cannot, meaning you're not able, you don't have the power to do it. Well, the sense of this is you don't have the power. In other words, it's not that you, you don't have permission. That's not the point. The point is you don't have the power to do this. You try to do this, you will fail. You will default to worshiping money. I don't know about how many people you've heard uh, make the comment, I want to be wealthy so I can support kingdom causes. Uh, over the life of that experience as a, a believer in the Christian community, I've heard that, that phrase stated a lot. And it seems to be simply a way to rationalize people's worship of money and put it in some kind of holy context, like I'm a holy spiritual person and I'm going to make money. God's assigned it to me to make money for it so I can support kingdom causes. That's a very suspicious statement. Uh, it, it might be true. Perhaps that's true. But I think you need to be very suspicious. And frankly, I don't think, 
I don't think I'd ever want to make a statement like that, even if I thought it was true. I think that would be very arrogant, very prideful. I think we need to be very humble before God. Whatever resources he chooses to give us, he's given it to us so we can steward the way he wants it stewarded, not so we can do what we want to do, not so we can tip God as 10% and go live the way we want to live. That's not the way it works. The way it works is we have to approach this very humbly, very soberly knowing that God owns it all. It's all his. We are simply his servants. We have no rights in and ourselves to think that we can do whatever we want to do with money. The common view of in the financial services today is that you, know, you want to work as hard as you can, uh, as short as you can, make as, money, as much money as fast as you can so you can retire as soon as you can and do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. It's a very humanistic view of money and, and, and investing and saving. You know, savings and investing is a biblical idea. You know, wise people do save and invest, but they don't do it for themselves. They do it because they know that the money is a tool to serve the purposes of God. You cannot serve God in money. If you're going to serve God, then you let him decide, you know, when you might transition from the workplace. And when you transition, don't think of it as retirement. You think of it as simply moving to your next assignment. My wife is getting ready to transition from her role as an administrator in a small private Christian school. She's been there a long time. And we've been talking about her transition for some time. We do not talk about her retirement. That's how the world talks about it. We talk about transition because we know as long as there's breath in my body, breath in her body, there's reason for our being. So God has a purpose. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, how old you are, what you've done in life. You have breath today. There's a reason that you have breath in your body today. You go serve God today. He is your master. Money is never the master. I am not working, so I don't have to work anymore. That is not the reason to work. You work because you've been as called by God to work. And when you earn resources from that work, those resources are given to you so you can do what God has called you to do. And so you've got to begin to think at that level if you're ever going to think biblically about money. And that is very, very challenging for all of us. So the axiomatic principle is you cannot worship God in money. If you try, you will default to worshiping money. You will never be successful at worshiping God in money. It cannot be done. So don't even play the game. Surrender. Surrender your will and your ways to the Lord. Surrender your whatever resources he's given to you, to him. Seek him on everything. He is the definer of how you use resources. You are not the definer. Don't let the worldly thinking today say to you or imply to you that you can be your own boss when you have enough money. That is a lie and deception. You are never your own boss. If you know Christ, you are simply his servant. And as his servant, you have one thing that you must do, and that is you must do the will of the master, which means your time, your talent, your technology, your treasure, everything in life is up to the will of the master. That's how you live biblically, how you must think biblically, if you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. So may the Lord give us grace to learn to live like that in Jesus' name. Amen.